Stories and content in Weird Darkness can be disturbing for some listeners and is intended for mature audiences only. Parental discretion is strongly advised. When I got to the bottom step, though, I froze. I thought I heard some odd sounds coming from the basement, just around the corner. Nothing loud and overpowering, just a low, gruff sort of grunting. There were other noises as well, accompanying the grunting, a soft kind of scraping maybe. The noises conjured visions of creatures trying to push a huge, heavy trunk across the floor, little by little. It had to be some critter from the woods that found its way in and was probably trying to make off with some food it had found. Many animals are known for their ability to hear and smell far better than us humans. I wondered, perhaps, if I was good enough in my stealth abilities to sneak up on an animal that was probably very aware of its surroundings seeing as how they can be eaten or any number of horrible things if they're not observant and alert at all times. It presented an interesting challenge to me. So I clenched my jaw, tensed my muscles, and prepared to make the attempt. And once again, I froze. The weird sort of grunting became a vocalization of a different sort, and louder, it sounded like actual words being spoken, albeit in a language I couldn't comprehend. The language itself was intriguing. It sounded a lot like Latin or something similar, but definitely wasn't. After a few moments of genuine interest, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I was too preoccupied with my musings to realize something. This was no animal. I'm Darren Marlar, and this is Weird Darkness. Welcome, weirdos. I'm Darren Marlar, and this is Weird Darkness. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, legends, lore, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. I'm taking a few days away from creating new episodes so I can spend some time with family and also prepare for next month's fourth anniversary of the podcast, along with the upcoming Overcoming the Darkness campaign to raise funds to fight depression. So this episode comes from the Dark Archives, and hopefully you'll enjoy it as much as the newer episodes. Now bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the weird darkness.
Ferris wheel had rusted over, and the chair swing ride no longer spins. Lake Shawnee Amusement Park in West Virginia has been eerily abandoned for decades. Many amusement parks come and go, but the tale of Lake Shawnee Amusement Park runs a bit deeper and a bit darker. In the 18th century, the land was home to the Clay family, who were early settlers in the region. In the 1920s, it was purchased by a man named Conley T. Snydow, who turned it into an amusement park, which became a popular attraction for coal mining families in the area. What Snydow didn't know is that his park had been built on a Native American burial ground. It was also the site of the massacre of the Clay family children. The amusement park drew crowds, and the sound of children's laughter filled the air every summer, until a very mysterious death occurred. A mother left her son at the park in the morning and planned to return later on to pick him up. However, when she returned, he was nowhere to be found. After a search of the grounds, his body was found floating in the swimming pool, drowned. The pool was quickly and quietly filled up with sand. No one spoke of the death, but another one would soon transpire. While on the swing ride, a young girl died when a delivery truck backed up into the contraption. Unable to shake its growing reputation, the park eventually closed in 1966. The rides sat deserted. Slowly, they were enveloped in vines and untamed grasses grew wild. Time forgot Lake Shawnee Amusement Park. Then, in 1985, a man named Gaylord White bought the land. He decided to reopen the park and return it to its glory days. It only lasted three years, though, as it became quite apparent that the energy in the area was nothing short of paranormal. White reported sightings of the young girl who died on the swing ride. She'd walk the grounds in a ruffled pink dress covered in blood. He also claimed to have heard the sounds of Native American chants echoing through the trees. The search for the land's secret history ensued. It was eventually discovered that it was the site of a large Native American settlement and burial ground that thrived far before European settlers. As many as 3,000 Native Americans are thought to have been buried under the park. Here, the storyline led back to Mitchell Clay and his family, who arrived in 1775 to set up their farm. In 1783, while Clay and some other men were out hunting, his children were ambushed by Native Americans. His son Bartley was killed and scalped, and his daughter Tabitha was also killed as she attempted to save her brother's life. And lastly, his son Ezekiel was kidnapped. A search party was sent out for the missing boy, but by the time his whereabouts were discovered, it was too late. The Native Americans had taken him deeper in the forest and burned him at the stake. Clay sought revenge on the Native Americans who had killed his children and murdered several of them. 
Such was the blood-stained plot of land upon which Snydow opened his theme park in the early 20s. What began as a thriving Native American settlement turned into a place of murder and death, haunted by vengeful spirits. For now, at least, the ride has ended at Lake Shawnee Amusement Park. Have you ever indulged in gossiping and talking badly behind someone's back? If so, be happy you were not living during the medieval period and the Renaissance. In those days, there were certain methods, rituals, and punishments to control and condemn such misbehavior. One way of punishing a gossiper was to force him or her to wear the mask of shame. People throughout the region used such masks well into the 18th century, the same time as the Enlightenment and the American and French revolutions. The purpose of the masks was simple. Individuals who committed a social faux pas or crime would have to wear it, revealing to their community what they had done. If you look closely at the mask of shame on the left, you'll find an unusual nose. It was deliberately crafted to look like a pig's snout, because the whole point was to demonstrate to others that the wearer acted like a pig. Reinforcing cultural norms and expectations was certainly important enough to Europeans to develop such interesting and unusual methods. However, to what extent those controversial methods were successful that I cannot tell you. When I was 22, I moved to Trenton, Ontario into military housing. There was a corner in the basement that I didn't feel right going into, but other than that, I didn't feel anything out of the ordinary. I lived there three years, and every October the front door would open during the night. I double-checked it over and over the first year, thinking I was losing my mind, only to wake up with the door wide open. Even stranger, my pets never escaped. The first year was frustrating, but after that I got used to it as there was no harm done. During the last year, however, things started to happen at other times. It started with the bread on top of the fridge being on the floor when I got home. Strangely, my dogs never ate it. In fact, they would be cowering in the corner when I got home. Then I started to smell smoke in the spare room, like someone was smoking in there, but no one was ever inside. Also, the door to the spare room would be open every time I turned the corner. I would have chalked it up to air pressure, except when I'd go to close the door, it would open again. One day, I felt something pull the door open as I tried to close it. 
I continued to pull the door closed, but it kept opening, and I started yelling, no, I want it closed. My boyfriend came to see what I was yelling about, and I got him to try closing the door, but it was once again pulled open. At this point, I was sure of a spirit's presence. Hundreds of people had lived in the house due to it being military. One day, I was in a field behind the house with my neighbors. I looked towards my house and saw a man inside with his hand against the window. I yelled, hey, there's a man in my house. I ran to the house to confront the man and my neighbors joined me. We searched every inch of the house but found no one. I went to the window where I had seen him, and there was an imprint as though someone had been kneeling on my micro-suede couch. I quickly rubbed the impression off. One more event happened that scared me, which is rare because I tend to welcome spirits. I had two packs of earrings on the end table in the living room. One was face up and one was face down with the tops touching each other. I was going to put them on when my neighbor asked me to bring my dogs out. I came back 30 minutes later and the earrings were gone. I had just gotten a kitten and blamed her. I searched every inch of the house and even followed the kitten with the hope that she would go to them. I didn't find the earrings. My boyfriend got home and scoured the house in case I'd missed them. Nothing. Two nights later, I got up because I felt sick to my stomach. I got a glass of apple juice and set it on the table as I watched TV. There was nothing on the table but the juice and the lamp. I grabbed my glass and took a sip, and then I went to put it back down. The earrings were not only there, but in the exact position that I had left them. I screamed because I was terrified that this could happen right beside me and I didn't even feel the spirit there. The one thing I can say is that it was just as keen on spatial placement as I was. We moved to California from Texas. We found an old vintage house for sale. My mom thought it was pretty cheap, so we bought it. But some nights we would hear humming. At this time, I was about three and my brother was seven. My mom always said it was the wind. It was 12.02 and everyone was asleep. We heard a pan fall in the kitchen. Me and my brother woke up and went to where the sound was. I remember it so clearly like it was yesterday. I was next to the pan and my big brother was behind the refrigerator. Then something picked me up and hung me by my arms until my armpits were hurting. Afterwards, it started to cradle me like a baby and it whispered in a female voice, Good night, sweet baby. My brother was so terrified that he couldn't even move, but then he ran away. I started to cry, thinking my brother left me to die. The shadow carried me outside, then she said to me, let's go have fun with your sister. The eeriness was so horrible I was shaking. 
until the police arrived and the shadow was gone. My brother was watching the whole time. He came out trembling and crying, holding the phone. My parents came out and they told us we were being stubborn and dumb. Last night, I remembered this story and looked at the history of the house. It turns out the woman who used to live here had a child who was three years old and the woman murdered her child. When I told my brother, he started crying, saying, so she was going to kill you. To this day, my parents don't believe us, but the house is still here and haunting my mind with the memory of what happened every night at 12.02. There's a lot more to come in this Dark Archives episode of Weird Darkness. In the meantime, maybe visit the website. There you'll find the Weirdos Facebook group so you can hang out with others in the Weirdo family. Links to my Twitter and Facebook pages, my YouTube channel, plus you can visit the Hope in the Darkness page if you're struggling with depression, anxiety, thoughts of suicide, or a crisis pregnancy. Also on the site, you can sign up for our regular Weird at Work drawing, visit the store for t-shirts, kids' clothes, wall hangings, hoodies, smartphone cases, and other Weird Darkness stuff, and you can also find a full list of all the audiobooks I've narrated, complete with links to hear free samples of each of those books. It can all be found at WeirdDarkness.com. Depression can drive people to desperation, looking for relief anywhere they think they can get it. Five people every hour die of a drug overdose, ten per hour from alcohol abuse. Even worse, drugs and alcohol don't alleviate depression, they only make it worse. If this is you, visit ifred.org and get help for yourself or get informed so you can help someone you know and love. While there, you can find support from individuals and groups, join discussion boards to speak with others who know what you're going through, learn ways to bring hope into your life and community, find a list of emergency phone numbers if you're in a crisis, and if you're not sure you're even truly suffering from depression, there's a free online test to help you find out, resulting in options at the end of the test for treating depression yourself or with others at no cost, or find professional assistance from a licensed therapist. Learn more at ifred.org, the International Foundation for Research and Education on Depression. ifred.org. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I've always been naturally sneaky. Without putting any effort into the endeavor, I was always scaring people, or at the very least making them jump. Sometimes, even when I approached them from the front, people wouldn't notice me until I was right upon them. They would gasp and flinch and ask me why I snuck up on them. I guess I'm just naturally quiet and unobtrusive. As I got into my teen years, I got better at it. I'd be there one moment, and after looking away for a mere second or two, I would be gone. Or, of course, vice versa, appearing seemingly from out of nowhere. A joke even began to manifest itself around my high school that I was related to, usually the son of, Michael Myers because of my seemingly preternatural ability to know the precise moment when someone was going to look away from where I was. 
Also, being named Michael didn't help any. I remember walking into anatomy class one day, 20 minutes late, and the teacher never even noticed. Neither did most of the students. And I didn't even try. I was late. Oh well. Wasn't the first time and wouldn't be the last. I just walked in the door, set my books down, and sat in my seat. Having a last name near the front of the alphabet, I even had a seat in the front row. When the teacher finally noticed, she said something to the effect of, Oh, I'm sorry, Michael, I had you marked as absent. She corrected her mistake in the attendance book and went on with class. It was around then that I began to actually practice this peculiar ability. You know what they say, practice makes perfect, and boy did I ever get good at sneaking. In fact, I think I actually added new verbs into my repertoire. I excelled at sneaking and also creeping, sidling, slinking, and skulking. I actually bought and read a book on ninja techniques for hiding, diversion, and silent movement. I even went as far as to rent and watch all the old Halloween movies so I could study how Michael Myers actually did his silent creeping, despite him being a fictitious character from a movie with all the benefits of special effects and camera trickery. Every October, I volunteered to work in the local haunted house and whatever room they placed me in was routinely noted by customers to be the scariest in the entire place. At some point, I acquired a certain pride over my ability, happy that I was able to do something that few, if any others, could not. To say the least, I had gotten pretty proficient at this odd, God-given talent. I know what you're all probably thinking. At some point, I'm going to begin using my stealth abilities to go on some sort of rampage, stalking and dispatching my enemies in terrifying, horror-movie-worthy murders. However, I am a peaceful and non-violent young man and had no designs with my ability for anything more than occasional benefits and harmless practical jokery. This preface concerning my ability is essential if one is to believe the veracity of my story which happened a few years ago. I don't recall the exact day or date. I believe it was either Tuesday or Wednesday. I was still living with my father as a poor but working 20-year-old on the corner of our street in literally the corner of our exurb, bordered on three sides by a nice forest that went for a few miles before running into the lake. It's not like we lived rurally or anything, but our section of town was pretty secluded and out of the way. I returned home after work on the night in question, exasperated and ready to relax. My pops wasn't around, which wasn't odd. He often spent long nights down at the bar with some of his old union pals. I unwound for a while, enjoying the freedom the empty house presented playing my tunes as loud as I desired and smoking like a chimney. After I deemed I had enjoyed a sufficient amount of recreation, I settled down and prepared to actually get some things done. Seeing as how there was a full load in the laundry basket, I grabbed it and headed for the basement where the washer and dryer were located. When I was younger, I hated going into my basement. 
Like any other unfinished basement, it's dark, it's musty, it's stone-cold and hard, and there are innumerable shadows and places for all nature of dark beings to hide. Plus, when going down the steps into my basement, you're walled in on both sides until you reach the very bottom, so there's no way to see what manner of ghosts or monsters may be lurking down there, waiting to jump on you and rend you to pieces. As time went on, however, that irrational fear began to fade, until it might as well have been a ghost itself. So, basket in hands, I decided to make the trip to the basement as stealthily as possible, always proud to use and practice my ability, especially when hindered in some way, carrying something, noisy clothes, creaky floorboards, etc. Quick, deliberate steps, careful to distribute as much of my weight across as much surface area of my foot as possible, always planting toe first when going downstairs, I was successfully in descending the basement steps, silent as the grave, even skipping the third to the last step because there was simply no way to put weight on said stair without it making a creak of some kind. A diversion or additional ambient noise would be needed to use that stair without spoiling the effect. No need to turn on any lights. Although it was well after 8 p.m., the summer sun was only starting to dip below the tree line, filling in the basement with streams of auburn light falling in from the few windows. Besides, this was a stealth mission. No lights allowed. When I got to the bottom step, though, I froze. Since I had made absolutely no noise on the way down, it was easy for me to recognize odd sounds coming from the basement, just around the corner to the right. Nothing loud and overpowering, just a low, gruff sort of grunting. There were other noises as well, accompanying the grunting a soft kind of scraping, maybe. The noises conjured visions of one of those gremlins from the movies of the same name trying to push a huge, heavy trunk across the floor, little by little. I wondered if perhaps my dad was the source of these sounds. But that didn't make any sense. He certainly would have heard me jamming earlier, and he absolutely hates it when I crank up my tunes. It's not like him to refrain from coming upstairs and telling me to knock off the racket. And what would he be doing down there for hours anyway? So if it wasn't my father, it had to be some critter from the woods that found its way in and was probably trying to make off with some food it had found. Many animals are known for their ability to hear and smell far better than us humans. I wondered if perhaps I was good enough in my stealth abilities to sneak up on an animal that was probably very aware of its surroundings, seeing as they can be eaten or any number of horrible things if they're not observant and alert at all times. It presented an interesting challenge to my strange skill. So I clenched my jaws, tensed my muscles, and prepared to make the attempt. And once again, I froze. The weird sort of grunting became a vocalization of a different sort, and louder. It sounded like actual words being spoken, albeit in a language I couldn't comprehend. However, 
it still sounded as if it were a gremlin making the noise, or at the very least some old crone who smoked three packs a day. The language itself was intriguing. It sounded a lot like Latin, or something similar, but definitely was not. After a few moments of genuine interest, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I was too preoccupied with my musings to realize something. This was no animal. There was a person in my basement, a person who was doing God knows what other than speaking in tongues. What the hell was going on down there? My heart rate instantly doubled, but being a strapping, macho young man, even with no one around, I wasn't about to let myself be scared by some strange old foreign woman or whoever the hell had broken into my basement. It was then that I got a little angry. How dare someone break into my house? This was where I lived. What kind of dirtbag would just break into someone's house? Right about the time my nape hairs and goosebumps had retreated to their normal positions, a new sound began emanating from the basement. This one louder, but completely alien to me. I had never heard anything like this before in my life, or since, and describing it proves difficult. It was something between a powerful gust of air and a high-pitched metal scraping on metal sound, both occurring simultaneously. That's the best I can do, and trust me, whatever sound you've conjured in your head to imitate it most likely doesn't come close. Seeing as this was the only time in my life that I've ever heard the noise, I may not even remember it correctly. All I know is this, this sound scared the bejesus out of me. Strapping young man or not, this unnatural sound went right through my ears, bypassed my brain, and cut straight to my spine, unleashing a cold rush within me and freezing my limbs in place. My eyes gaped wide, and I'm pretty sure my eyelids were non-existent at this point because I could not bring myself to shut them or even squint a little bit. The sound happened and quickly faded, but still, here I stood on the bottom landing of the basement steps, still unable to see around the corner into the rest of the basement. Thankfully, whatever was on the other side of the wall couldn't see me either. I hoped. Standing there doing my very best statue imitation was not easy at this point. Sweaty palmed, breath firmly imprisoned in chest, eyes as dinner plates. I think it was about then that I began to actually fear for my safety, and I wished I hadn't been holding that goddamned clothes basket. It was also about then that that weird language began again, deliberate but incomprehensible words. After a few more moments of listening to this infernal monologue, my curiosity simply got the better of me. All fear aside, I simply had to see what was happening in my basement on the other side of the wall. And so I exhaled as quietly as I could drew in another deep breath and noiselessly slowly began to lean forward. Little by little, more and more of the basement was slowly revealed to my personal panorama. 
First, the old 8 million pound tube television that should have been thrown out decades ago. No mysterious guests so far. Next, the workbench, further back. Tools in place and undisturbed. No monsters, ghosts, or creatures there. Then, towards the back corner, the washer and dryer. Undisturbed and silently standing sentinel in their normal place. And next, holy shit! As quickly and silently as a ninja's ghost, I re-straightened my spine, standing upright and stock still. If my eyes were like dinner plates before, they were as satellite dishes now. I had seen it. I had seen what was speaking in that unnerving voice in my basement. But what exactly had I seen? It was humanoid, bipedal, and crouched down near the ground. I didn't get too good of a look at it since I shot straight back out of sight before it saw me. What in the hell was that? If that was human, that was one hell of a costume. All my initial eye spying had yielded was a purplish-reddish ball of fur covering a vaguely human body, crouched low near the ground and speaking in that horrid tone and cadence. Whatever it was, I had never seen anything like it before. I wasn't sure if anyone had. Seems my odd skill did come in handy because if it had heard me or detected my presence in any way, it did not display it. Although I couldn't see it, the monstrous chanting never slowed, stopped, or even broke cadence, leading me to believe it hadn't noticed my sweating, shaking presence. Listening closer to what it was saying, it was clear these were definitely words and not just some strange guttural groans or random atypical vocalizations. This thing was speaking with purpose, with a defined goal on its mind that it was seeking to accomplish. But of course, that inspired the questions. Who was it speaking to, if anyone? And what did it want? Almost instinctively, I began to slowly lean forward again. I was pretty positive this thing wasn't ordering a pizza or lilting one of its favorite tunes. If I wanted any hope of determining what this thing wanted, I needed to know more about just what the fuck it was. The thing had its back to me when I peeked the first time, so I couldn't see the face or any details about its front. I hadn't leaned out far enough the first time to even see its head anyway. Slowly, inch by inch, and silent as the grave, I again leaned out past the wall. Here we go again. The old tube TV. The sun was steadily finding its way below the horizon, ceding space to the lengthening shadows. Then the workbench. Every inch I leaned seemed to add decibels to the wild incantations the thing was spitting out. Now the washer and dryer. Muscles strained, adrenaline pumping, and then purple-red fur, including a blood-red tail. Fuck me, a tail! Again, on instinct, I straightened back out. Fuck balls. Okay, so it clearly wasn't human. I needed to stop ducking back behind the wall and just person up, Unisex version of man up, so I could get a look at the intruder in my basement. Damn it, 
I wished again that I hadn't been holding that fucking laundry basket. My spine had seemingly just reformed itself into solid matter again when the chanting stopped, and that horrid metallic wind noise began again, re-melting my spine and causing my heart to beat so hard I was afraid the thing on the other side of the wall might hear it. After what seemed like hours, but surely it was only a minute or two, the wind-slash-metal noise stopped, and predictably the vicious chanting and dreadful scraping resumed. I should have went back up the stairs when I had a chance, but was compelled to get a firm look at this being. I mean, how often does one discover a previously unheard-of creature making noise in their basement? Was it aggressive or amicable, benign or dangerous? And what the fuck was it doing? In my basement? Was it a demon? An animal? A mythical creature of some kind, like a little violet and red Sasquatch? I had to know. And so, with courageous curiosity beating out debilitating fear, I began to lean out once again. You know the drill. Old TV. Should have been thrown out years ago. Workbench. Looks like Dad could use a new crescent wrench. Washer and dryer. Would I ever get to do the load of laundry sweatily clutched in my arms? And finally, it came into view. Wispy red fur, leading to a slender, slightly curved and motionless tail. The blood-red crimson of its tail darkened into various hues of violet and purple, deepening in color as it got closer to the torso. It was crouched on its two legs, indeed bipedal, and had a wild mane of shocked, wispy red and purple hair coming off its head in an Einsteinian sort of afro, only with longer strands than the deceased German physicist. The hair was clumped in places in dread-like protrusions that ran down the back of the body, giving the appearance of spikes running down its spine and the back of the arms. Its body was slender but wiry, and all of it that I could see was covered in that same blood-red fur that descended into a deep violet as it got closer to the center of the body. The feet were furred up unto the very tips and kind of resembled a cat's paws. It was completely still except for movements it was making with its hands or forepaws or claws or whatever the hell it had and small undulations with its head, coinciding with its wicked-sounding cadence. It was impossible to say for sure, but it looked like if it stood up, it would be about my height, six foot two, give or take a few inches. I watched it for a little while, my fright-induced adrenaline enabling me to hold stone still whilst this thing went on about its surely nefarious business. The oration and scraping were simple enough to figure out, but even through my fear, I was very curious about what that metallic whooshing was about. I leaned out just a bit farther, as far as I would dare, in hopes of getting a look at what, if anything, this creature was crouched over. Whatever it was, it had to be pretty small because the slender being greatly obscured what it was crouched over. All I could obtain during this time were quick glances of an indistinguishable black object, 
The chanting itself became more haunting and sinister on this side of the wall, sounding as if there were two or three beings speaking in unison. My heart was pounding so hard, I thought it might literally leave a bruise on my chest, and I noticed for the first time that I had such an absolute death grip on the laundry basket that the plastic edges were digging painfully into my hands. My breath was shallow and silent, and I was pretty sure my eyes hadn't shut even once in the past three to five minutes. I watched in graveyard silence, undetected, while this being went on about its work. Before much longer, it stopped all movement, the scraping and vocalizing again ceasing. Without warning or preamble, the creature raised both arms above its head. In that time, I could see that its hands and fingers were furred as well, except the palms, and colored in that same dark crimson as the tail and feet. Its fingers were human-like, with opposable thumbs, but there was one very defining characteristic. The index, or pointer fingers, on each hand were extraordinarily long. They were at least twice as long as the other fingers, and furred only about halfway up, with long black protrusions jutting out of the red fur. At first, I thought they were fingernails, but they were pliable and appeared jointed like a normal finger a normal human finger anyway. They were very fine and slender, ever so slightly curved, pointed at the tip, and looked like they were probably very sharp. The appearance of the sinister-looking claws did not do well to reconcile my mania. In addition to its size, this creature also came equipped with features that would enable it to seriously injure or kill me, and all I had was this fucking laundry basket. I didn't even have my pocket knife on me. I suppose I could have used a pair of knee socks like nunchucks, but I doubt a parodied ninja weapon would be much use against those claws. It was all a moot point anyway, because almost immediately after raising its arms, I forgot to mention that it raised its arms in a crisscross fashion, because those claws kind of took precedence at that moment, it brought them down again, uncrossing them as it did, and producing that whooshing noise, a process which it repeated over and over again. It also abraded its claws together as it swept its arms downward, which produced the high-pitched metallic scraping noise. Being able to see the thing also added a new phenomenon to the mix. As it brought its hands downward, the abrasion of its two claws appeared to create some kind of energy, evidenced by a reddish glow emanating from the hands. The glow grew more and more intense with each X-shaped swipe of its talons. After a dozen or more repetitions, its hands were barely visible with dark red auras resembling cracking clouds of crimson smoke surrounding its hands. When it finally stopped, I could perceptively feel the energy coming from its hands, like it was creating a soft wind or gently pushing against me, not enough to move me, but enough to be perceived. You'd have to experience it to truly understand, but it felt nasty somehow, almost viscous or slimy. It placed its hands on the small black object in front of it, I still couldn't tell what it was, and resumed its perturbing incantations. At this point, I was completely lost. Mentally, 
I had nothing, which isn't far removed from normal, and all I could do was stare, wide-eyed and gaping. Shock, fear and amazement all amalgamated into a single thousand-pound medicine ball being bounced around my head, replacing my normally functioning brain. With no activity going on up top, my eyes and muscles decided I was to keep standing there like a lump and see what happens. I found out later that my fight-or-flight instincts didn't fail but simply didn't activate because the creature didn't know I was there, and choosing one of those options would have alerted it to my presence. Thank you, instincts. The incantations were really creeping me out. I desperately wanted to see what it was crouched over, feeling that this bit of information was immediately valuable to my well-being. I would swear that the creature was saying the words louder than before, and as it went on this time, its voice definitely began to rise. The increase in noise gave me the little fortitudinal boost I needed to attempt stepping out and peeking at what the creature was crouched over. With great care, I took a single, noiseless step out onto the concrete floor, still gripping the ridiculous basket of clothes. With wide, probing eyes, I slowly leaned further, just a tad bit more, and a sock fell out of the tilted basket in my hands, crashing softly to the floor, mere centimeters from colliding with the creature's foot. My muscles, every last one of them, tensed and froze. I quietly cursed myself in my head. When I say quietly, I mean even my inner monologue whispered out of fear of being heard by the mysterious monster in my basement. I was now so close to it that I could detect an animalistic scent, somewhere between a lush, sweet forest breeze and the slight stink of a rotting carcass. The creature seemed oblivious, though, and after ensuring nothing else would jeopardize my stealth, I prepared to take the final step that would afford me a view of what the creature was crouched over. I was successful, and it afforded me a view of what the creature had in front of it. It was a kitten. That's right, it was a little black kitten lying motionless on the floor. It looked dead to my eyes, and its fur was matted with blood more blood than this little kitty could have possibly contained. Its entire coat was absolutely smattered with it. I knew this kitten. It had belonged to a family a few houses down. It was part of a litter their full-grown tabby had just had. It was the only black one of the bunch, and it had died a week or so after being born. The family knew not how. But what manner this goblinous being had come to possess it I knew not how, or why. The absurdity of the situation I found myself in seemed to know no bounds. The creature's hands were still illuminated with those snapping clouds of crimson energy, and it was moving them all about the dead kitten, almost like a magician would before doing a sleight-of-hand trick. The light and energy given off by its aura-enclosed hands was sickly and felt dangerous, but at the same time was beautiful and mesmerizing. It was a strange juxtaposition to experience. I wasn't sure, but I felt like the energy that this being was manipulating could greatly harm me or possibly be amazingly beneficial 
kind of like fire. Applied correctly, its uses are virtually endless and remarkably beneficial, but it can also be exploited for very dire and horrid purposes. In retrospect, I feel like the power this being was utilizing could be employed in a similar fashion. This monstrous, demonic-looking creature looked apparently ready to use such energy. At this point, I began to wonder, should I try to stop this thing? It didn't seem to be up to anything cataclysmic, like the destruction of the Earth or the enslavement of all mankind. I'd like to think such things cannot be accomplished with some energy, albeit of unknown origin, and a dead kitten. But all I had was my feeble human musculature and a fucking laundry basket full of clothes. This thing probably had all the agility and ferocity of a mountain lion, as movies and comics have taught me all creatures of this manner do. Not to mention it had either stayed hidden for however long it had been alive, or it killed anyone who had ever seen it before. Not promising prospects for my future. This had been foolish of me. There was no way to know there would be a frightening monster doing God knows what to a dead kitten in my basement, but it had been my decision to investigate further. That was just stupid. I should have tried to creep back up the steps to call the cops or grab a weapon or anything other than sneaking up on an unknown monster that could surely do horrible things to me. So there I was, standing there, sweating, heart pounding, mouth agape, eyes opened wide, less than two feet from a previously unseen creature holding a full laundry basket. Fear and common sense finally won out over curiosity, and I made the decision to try to sneak back upstairs. As I just started to slowly creep my way back to the landing, the creature's steadily louder orations began to crescendo, freezing me in place again. It flung its arms wide, hands still surrounded by the reddish-purple auras of energy it had conjured, and almost giving me a charley horse. As it spoke its final indecipherable word, its voice now channeling Mum-Ra from the Thundercats cartoon, it thrust both hands, grabbing onto the kitten, transferring the red auras from its hands to the deceased catling. It seemed to be exerting itself, the bloody corona engulfing the kitten, swirling and billowing, and almost seeming to crackle with actual miniature lightning as the creature gently held its hands to it. I began to question my own sanity at this point. This situation I was in was getting more and more bizarre, almost as if I were dreaming. Just when I thought nothing stranger could occur, it would, pushing my heart rate and my sanity closer to the brink. I really have no idea how I didn't go running for the hills screaming bloody murder at this point. I guess I was literally too scared to run for my life. After a couple centuries passed, mere seconds, I'm sure, the glow from the aura faded and eventually winked out. The creature moved its hands from the kitten slowly, and to my surprise, did not resume the chanting. This entire situation had blown all of my assumptions out of the water at every turn, so I decided not to make any and just watch. My brain must have secretly made assumptions without my approval because 
I was stunned once again when the demonic-looking being began to speak again, only this time softly and directly to the kitten. It was practically cooing to the little creature. And even more amazing, the kitten answered back. It began to mew softly, its tail lightly thumping the concrete. A moment later, it stood up, and unless my eyes deceived me, it was no longer covered in blood. It took a few shaky steps, then proceeded to meow lovingly at the strange monster that had just resurrected it. Well, that was a relief. I half expected it to eat the kitten or rip it apart or turn it into some giant dire monster cat or something. It was such a relief, in fact, that I had let out a loud and exasperated sigh, fully alerting the creature to my presence. Crap. The creature whirled immediately, and I finally got a look at its front and face. Especially the face, for when it turned around, it was right in my face, and it shrieked an unholy roar at me. Its face was leonine, especially with its wild red and purple mane of dreads, and the mouth and snout were protruded, further resembling a mutant jungle cat. It had fangs at the front of its jaw, top and bottom, with smaller fangs behind it forming a row that dove far into its mouth, which was spread wide as it roared at me, its hot breath like wind blown over a fire. I was close enough to notice horrid-looking bits of who-knows-what amidst the teeth and strands of saliva. It didn't roar for long. It wasn't a drawn-out I'm a T-Rex and I own the world roar, but more of a primal scream. It took a wild swipe at my torso with a hand and one of those massive claws, but luckily, on pure instinct, read, I flinched, I raised the basket full of clothes, effectively parrying the strike, which was lucky because the basket received one hell of a gash. Also lucky was what happened next. It left. After the wild swipe, the creature made another noise, a more confused-sounding noise, in a flash, it turned and, on a combination of bipedal and quadrupedal movements, it almost instantly galloped, ran, leaped its way to the back wall by the washer and dryer. And amazingly, it didn't stop there, for as it made its way, its hands began glowing red again, and it jumped at and into the wall, red aurad hands outstretched towards that wall. A moderate dark red explosion occurred, leaving a large cloud of crimson fumes, and when the scarlet smoke had cleared enough to see, there was no trace of the wild creature. I stood there, dumbfounded. No, more than dumbfounded, flabbergasted. There was the possibility that this thing would return, try to claim the life of possibly the only eyewitness to its existence, but I just stood there, I eventually turned the clothes basket in my hands to see the long gash the creature had left in its side. The basket had a long wound ripped through one side. Some of the clothes were even ribboned, too. The kitten was exploring the basement, mewling along, oblivious, as if it hadn't just been brought back from the dead by an unknown monster who just jumped through some kind of teleportational vortex or whatever it had just utilized to leave my basement. I scooped the little feller up, threw him in the basket, and went back upstairs, mouth still agape. 
when I told my dad what had happened. He asked me for the number to my dealer. He also said we couldn't keep the cat. It worked out. I ended up giving it to my sister. There was no way I was just going to drop off a kitten that had just been resurrected by a strange being at the Humane Society. If the thing grows up to be a monster demon cat, it's my monster demon cat. She agreed to take care of the little guy. I tried to tell her the story of how I came to possess it, and my sister reacted in much the same way as my father. I figured she ought to know, considering the cat could turn out to be something sinister, and although she wasn't as skeptical as my father, I could tell she didn't believe me either. I didn't really expect her to. After that day, I spent considerable time searching online for any sort of link or connection to what I had just gone through. Everything I found was scant and vague. No pics, no stories, no nothing that even scarcely fit the description of what I had experienced. While researching the creature online is how I came across creepypastas, actually. All I know is this. My sister still has the cat. He hasn't turned into any monstrous being or exhibited a strange reddish glow, and I am stealthier than a silent ninja fart, for I snuck up on something that comes from the dark, hides in the shadows, and goes bump in the night. And I scared it. If you liked this episode of Weird Darkness, please share it with your friends and family on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, and your other social media, or message them and tell them to give the podcast a listen. Do you have a dark tale to tell of your own? Click on Tell Your Story at WeirdDarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. You can find links to the stories or authors featured in this episode in the show notes. Weird Darkness Theme by Manuel Marino Weird Darkness is a registered trademark of Marlar House Productions, copyright Marlar House Productions 2019. I'm Darren Marlar. Thanks for joining me in the Weird Darkness. Weird Darkness.